0: Today we have a session called The Big Hack and Purple Pound Scope UK Disability Charity are going to give us the lowdown on this really ambitious project that is underway, trying to win the case and provide really valuable resources to help industry get up to speed on inclusive design. Hello everybody, I feel horribly overdressed for a tech conference, uh, so I'm going to apologise. Um, I've also just become a dad. I've got a three-month-old baby and my memory, thanks very much, uh, my memory is like a sieve, so I'm going to uh, read from my notes, so forgive me. Um, anyway, Scope, are uh, delighted to be here, delighted to be a partner at TechShare Pro and to come back this year. I know we were here last year talking about the work we're doing on making accessible content for our website. Um, This year, um, we're going to present to you some hot-off-the-press research. My colleagues, Craig and Anel, are going to come up after me. I'm merely their sort of hype man, um, just to speak for a few minutes. So at Scope, we, in case you don't know, are a disability equality charity, and we campaign for uh, everyday equality for Britain's £14 Uh, disabled people. We've already heard that one in five of us uh, are disabled, so a huge uh, demographic. And we campaign to both tackle the digital divide, so making sure more disabled people can get online and use technology, but also to tackle inequities and inequalities in consumer markets. We know that disabled people are historically and currently ill-served, not thought of and often overlooked by retailers, by business and markets, despite this annual Purple Pound of uh, 270 billion pounds a year. Some work we did five years ago in in 2014, which feels like a lifetime, uh, we uh, conducted a piece of research called Extra Cost Commission, which found that three in four disabled people would leave a business because it wasn't accessible. And there's similar stats from the click away pound from disabled people turning away from inaccessible websites because those sites don't... Uh, cater to them, and the figures calculated for the loss to business are around 400 million per week. So there's huge, um, huge market of disabled people, 14, 14 million, um, and there's huge potential spend that hasn't really been uh, met by business or unlocked in, in any meaningful way, which I think leaves disabled people having to spend lots of money on products that don't always work for them, uh, or denied access to markets altogether. We know that insurance and energy are are two markets where disabled people are often poorly served and and not particularly well thought about. Um, But it leaves business in a place, we think, where there is this big untapped market, and there's value to be had and customers to be reached and products to be sold – but only if these products and services are accessible and inclusive um, in the first place. There's lots of good practice. Uh, Microsoft's Xbox controller, Uber WAV, iPhone. There's a range of insurance products specifically tailored to disabled people. But at Scope, we think there's much further to go. And we heard in the last session about regulation. I think some regulation is beginning to catch up. Uh, we have the public sector accessibility regulations coming into force, um, and we're seeing some regulators in the central markets beginning to recognise that they do have powers already to, in, uh, to enforce accessibility. So, Offgem, the energy regulator is taking greater steps to improve accessibility of price comparison websites, for example. These are things that don't need legislation, but do need Uh, regulators to be nudged and pushed and to be told that they probably have powers already, they just need to think about them slightly differently. And I think most importantly for Scope, we're seeing lots more disabled people take up action uh, and have their voice heard themselves. I think in a way that perhaps we haven't seen since the Disability Discrimination Act in 1995, where the whole community came together and really pushed for that groundbreaking legislation to be introduced. We're beginning to see that more and more uh, on online accessibility and online um, legislation too. Which is why um, we at Scope have launched the Big Hack Programme. Many of you probably know Chrissy. I said I wouldn't point her out, but I just have. She's just here. Um, she is our tech digital inclusion guru. She runs our Big Hack Programme, which I know some of you are involved in, but we'd love all of you to be involved in, which is really about breaking down the barriers that disabled people face to buying and accessing technology, but also using things online as well. And it's a real call to action for businesses to get involved and, crucially, to work with us as Scope and to work with the disabled community on coming up with solutions that can make a real difference. You can find out lots more on our website, bighack.org, um, if you want to. The Scope team are here all day to talk to you about it. Um, and I think I'd now like to ho- hand over to Annelen and Craig, in, in the words of Jennifer Aniston... Here comes the science bit. And Ellen Craig, over to you. Thanks very much, James.
1: Uh, hello to everyone at TechShare Pro. Thank you very much for inviting Scope um, to discuss the research work as part of this exciting big hack project that we're working on. My name's Craig Moss, I'm the research manager within the Strategy, Impact, and Social Change Department. Um, I lead the research team uh, running an innovative program of qualitative and quantitative work including economic research, supporting policy and influencing work at Scope. Um, The the aim of uh, this research work has been to provide us with information to prepare a compelling business case to persuade businesses to pursue inclusive design as part of a standard approach within their organizations. As a sneak peek into the content SCOPE will be making available as part of its Big Hack programme, the following presentation is some insight into that research work. For those who are not aware, we'll briefly introduce you to the benefits of inclusive design and the costs of inaccessible design to businesses and the wider society. We'll then begin to unpick some of the issues raised by disabled people in our research and provide first-hand and expert insight into simple steps to demystify the implementation of inclusive design while offering practical support to businesses in the form of key pointers here and via further support available from Scope's resources. Inclusive design should be a key priority for business of all sizes. In a society where our differences are increasingly recognised and celebrated, not to mention in a society that's getting older, it's vital from both an economic and ethical perspective that markets respond to a changing design priorities that come with this. This shift in emphasis has put an onus on designers or products of services of complete and inclusive customer journeys. But also on businesses, especially the inclusion of disabled people in their business strategies and subsequent planning from the earliest possible point in the design process. It has also led to a greater sense of identification with disabled users and a breakdown of boundaries between disabled and non-disabled consumers. Business leaders and designers are increasingly recognised that their customers occupy a common spectrum of abilities and aptitudes across various areas rather than existing in two separate camps. So inclusive design should matter to all, else businesses and designers ignore or underestimate their full customer base and dismiss potential future key business as an afterthought. As I've said, the logic for the business case is rooted in both economics and ethics and potentially legal aspects in the future, as we were hearing from international presenters earlier, especially in Norway with the universal design approach. Firstly, users with a range of impairments will constitute an ever greater proportion of the market from various products and services, although through an increasingly larger population and a disabled people's workforce. Secondly, customers have a duty to respond to a changing world. They must prevent their customers from facing indis- indirect discrimination through markets that isolate and exclude them. In fact, markets can play a significant role in the cost of living of- to a disabled person and their household. From facing in- uh, creating unnecessary extra costs and limitation on their spending. And unlocking this potential is a key component to accessing the untapped market of disabled people, a concept we will explore later in this presentation. So businesses need to improve their customer offer, and to do so, InDesign approach needs to be considered a standard, as well as creating inclusive workplaces, and importantly, the accessibility of the complete customer journey, both physical and digital experiences. But who are these potential customers and why are they worth such careful consideration if your business is to successfully access its full customer base disabled people are widely represented at all ages across every community across uk society from the north of the country to here in london as depicted on the map on the slide of the uk the prevalence of disabled people ranges from a quarter of people in the northeast to 13 percent of people in the capital some 1.2 million people here in London alone. And disabled people in the UK, particularly those with mild to moderate disabilities, comprise a greater proportion of the population than ever before. Although 13.3 million disabled people currently live in the UK, vast numbers of disabled people continue to be excluded or underrepresented from society or Visible Society, as the fantastic video at the start of the day clearly illustrated. And with the 27 million-plus households that make up UK population, almost 11 million have at least one disabled person as a member. That equates to 40% of households in the UK. As disabled people constitute increasingly increasing proportions of the population, disabled consumers desire demand greater and equal access to a range of products and services. The value of the purchasing power of these households with disabled people is well known. A concept introduced in 2012 called the Purple Pound. It is now a commonly used term for aggregate income after housing costs of households with at least one disabled person. Since it was first calculated, the Purple Pound has continued to grow. And from, from £210 billion in 2013-14, this figure has stead, uh, risen steadily. Until now, according to Scope's recent calculations, the current figure is a staggering £274 billion. I'm sure you agree this is a big number. And business are asking themselves, why, when and how can we tap into this promising market? To help address these questions and share some of Scope's research insights, I'll now pass you over to the lead researcher who's been working on our Big Hack business case research project, Anel. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Hi, uh, thanks, Craig. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Anel Touche, senior economist at Scope, and I helped to project manage uh, the Big Hack research So, as Craig just mentioned, uh, the Purple Pan represents a big opportunity for businesses. Um, It's essentially a proxy for disabled people purchasing power. And it is so as members of the same household do share their income. Disabled people have the means to spend. However, it is something that businesses still need to respond to. So, in particular, we wanted to better understand the role of inclusive design in determining spending decisions. And so uh, we had two research questions. The first, yeah, I should press the button. (laughs) The first, how do disabled people or households with disabled people spend overall? And the second question was, uh, what's the role of inclusive design in um, uh, determining spending decisions? So, we've used a mix of primary and secondary research to answer these questions. On um, the first question, we uh, partnered with a company called Trajectory. Um, it's a company that specialized in secondary research, data modeling, and forecasting. We use secondary research uh, to use um, uh, using national data sets such as the Living Cost and Food Survey or uh, the Family Resource Survey to come up with average weekly spend for both households with disabled people and households with non-disabled people. So then this allowed us to make comparison between the two groups and also allowed us to have breakdowns of average weekly spend by income brackets, um, type of impairment, um, but most importantly by spending categories such as education, uh, recreation, transport, etc. Yep. Uh, this is a quick illustration of uh, the top ten spending categories of households with at least one disabled person. This is as a proportion of income, and it's it's, it's interesting to see that uh, personal transport such as cars, um, motorbikes, for example, um, account for the second item when it comes to ranking. And public transport account for um, the last item of um, household with at least one disabled person income. Um, And this is a particular feature of household with disabled people. So we then looked at um, the size of the spending differences between the two groups. And as we just saw, households with disabled people tend to overspend in personal transport and also personal care, but they tend to underspend typically in education, public transport um, and entertainment. The rest of this presentation will uh, mainly focus on the underspend categories as we're trying to figure out how inclusive design could um, somehow close the spending gap between the two groups or in other words how inclusive design could potentially boost spending for households with at least one disabled person. I'll come to the link between inclusive design and other spend towards the end of the presentation. So um, spending decisions could be explained by a list of socioeconomic factors, including income, age, even preferences. But for the sake of simplicity, we controlled for at least disability and income. And we did so by um, computing average weekly spend as a proportion of income and then comparing between the two groups. So once this was done, the next question for us was, so what's the role of inclusive design in all of this? And to answer this question, we then partnered with a company called Open Inclusion that specialises in um, supporting businesses to um, come up with products and services that are inclusive for everyone. So together, we um, co-designed a survey that was addressed at 234 disabled adults everywhere in the UK. And the aim of the survey was to allow disabled people to tell us about their own experience of inclusive design and how this is impacting their spending decisions. (coughs) So this is just to give you a quick presentation of the panel. Uh, Here um, we see that uh, essentially the age distribution is following uh, what we've seen in national data sets. Um, So it is representative of um, what you would find in the data sets, such as the Family Resource Survey, for example. Again, this is a breakdown uh, break, uh, by impairment types uh, of respondent in the panel. Um, essentially, uh, again, as expected, it is nationally rep- representative. Um, mobility is the most common impairment, uh, and this is mainly driven by the older population. The impairment, just for you to know, do not add up to 100 because respondents could have more than one impairment. Right. Um, Now to the key findings. So when we asked the panel if they thought businesses were losing out because of inclusive design, three quarters said yes. That's 75% of respondents saying that businesses are losing out because of inclusive design. So that means disabled people are confident about the impact this is having on businesses. And this is one uh, quote from um, one of the respondents. I would like to spend more than I currently do, but I can't because it's such a laborious task. If websites, apps, and stores were more accessible, then I'd spend more because I'd have no restrictions. The purple pound is worth a lot, but businesses don't seem to realize this. And put the effort in to make the product and the website more accessible in order to benefit from the purple pound. Another striking finding: half of respondents said that they resorted to not buying when facing um, online or offline accessibility issues. That's 50% of our respondents giving up on spending because of accessibility issues. That should be worrying. And this confirms, again, the first finding that businesses are losing out because of accessibility issues. So here, uh, as part of the survey, we also ask our respondents to share uh, feedbacks about the um, digital experience. Uh, so these are, these are just a few quotes that we wanted to share with you.
1: If websites
2: aren't accessible,
1: I won't buy from them. If venues are not disability-aware, I won't return to them.
2: There is an untapped market. Most visually impaired people shop online. If websites were more accessible, more visually impaired people would spend their money and companies would make more money.
1: I really, really wanted to, go to buy tickets to go to the football for the big match. The timeout clock on the website kept finishing before I did. It was too hard. I ended up not going.
2: So as we mentioned before, inclusive design um, applies to both offline and online platforms. And it's important to recognize the interaction between the two platforms. So as part of the survey, we've asked respondents which of the spending categories were associated with poor um, in-person accessibility experience. So here again, respondents could select multiple options. And it's interesting to see that when it comes to in-person experience, transport, um, private or public, often come up. So, again, here are some feedbacks about offline experience.
1: Currently, I live in a village outside a major town, and the buses are like hen's teeth. That means they're rare. By the way, no one knows (laughs) that. I didn't i love to spend more money on the train, but I can only ever travel in one direction, as, at the station, there's no way over to the other platform, apart from from the stairs and a bridge.
2: Went to a caption film which had no caption, so had to leave.
1: I wanted to order an item from Sports Direct online, but their website wasn't fully accessible with my screen reader. The buttons on the website weren't labelled properly, and so therefore I decided to try shopping through their app. But I found their app to be even worse. I couldn't even select a category this time round to select my product. I then had to go to the store, which by itself was a hassle as a blind person. But when I got there, I was told the product was out of stock and I should order it online. I tried explaining the issues I had with the website and the app to the staff in store, but they said there was nothing they could do about it.
2: So, here again, the Sport Direct experience is a perfect example of the interaction between online and offline platforms. They do go in pairs. So, better inclusive design cannot just be about better accessibility online. The next phase for us was to um, look more closely at the underspend categories and essentially trying to find out how better inclusive design could then change the direction of things. The first bullet point here is just a a reminder. Actually, on this slide now, it's... Yes, the first bullet point. It's just a reminder of what we saw before, as in um, the fact that a household with at least one disabled person Spend 65% less on education. And from the survey, we know that 33% of respondents said that they would like to spend more on education, but they are currently prevented from doing so because of accessibility issues. Here, education uh, includes school fees, uh, university fees, but also online training, conferences, etc. That's one of the quote, again, if I was assured the learning resources course was truly accessible, I would be more likely to partake in extra education. Again, uh, public transport was the next underspend category, with households with disabled people spending 31% less as a proportion of income. And from the survey, we know that 22% of respondents said that they would spend more on public transport, but they are currently prevented from doing so because of accessibility issues.
1: My worst experiences with accessibility have been on public transport, which is the most important thing to someone with a disability. I would be happiest to spend money on it if it was more accessible.
2: Yes. Finally, uh, 67% of um, households do spend, um, uh, sorry, 67% of respondents said that uh, they would like to spend more on entertainment, but they are currently prevented from doing so uh, because, again, of accessibility issues.
1: I want to book a wheelchair spaces for everything online, cinema, theatre, trains, taxis, everything. I want to be able to book online easily, not on the phone, not via email over several weeks with a phone call later. I want all of it to be bookable online and easily.
2: I would spend much more on entertainment if cinemas and theatres had more audio description and touch tours. If Amazon and Netflix had better info about where audio description was available... I particularly like uh, this stats because it reveals that there is a strong demand uh, from disabled people um, for entertainment. Yes, disabled people are willing um, to spend much more on entertainment, to go out and have fun like anyone else, and they're also able to do so, like we've seen with the purple pound. And that very often goes against what people or the way people tend to think about disabled people. A good chunk actually of poor accessibility testimonies we've received were regarding entertainment. So let's summarise what we just discussed today. Unlocking the Purple Pan potential first demands a solid understanding of the common buttons preventing disabled people from spending. So here I came up with an illustration of common spending patterns using testimonies collected from the survey. So let's use a hypothetical case where I'm disabled and I'm trying to buy buy a pair of shoes, for example. Assuming um, um, well we're starting with the capacity to spend, that's the purple pattern. And then assuming I'm uh, going to a shop or a store, Uh, so that's the in-person experience. So, typically, from the survey we uh, collected that uh, the typical issue would include physical access, store environment, e- even payment methods. So in person experience is very often described as very frustrating. So I decided to go at uh, to have a go at the online services, and unfortunately, here again, it comes with a list of accessibility issues as the online platform here. Typically. Uh, Issues would include a problem with navigation, a lack of product descriptions, or even wrong colour font. A way to resolve this would be to then call customer service or any equivalent. Here again, the service is designed inclusively. Often disabled people reported lack of flexibility and communication issues. Now, it doesn't have to follow the order I just gave it, and you could start from uh, the online platform and then move on to in-person, etc. But the key point here is that um, it's now kind of becoming a sort of vicious cycle that is preventing disabled people from actually spending the money that they have. So, um, and again, it reveals the interaction that currently exists between online and offline platforms. So at this point, um, this is what would happen then if uh, the issues aren't addressed. There's two options, either exiting, so that just means deciding not to spend, or facing extra costs of disability. So um, by extra costs of disability, I mean um, costs that are imposed on disabled people uh, that are directly linked to the condition or impairment. And this is often triggered by a lack of supply or products um, in the market, putting a lot pressure on prices. But you also could be triggered by um, websites, for example, that are not making clear uh, or accessible you know, um, price comparison, for example, that would prevent disabled people from striking the best deals or to have access to really good information. Um, so both exiting and extra costs are essentially Two symptoms of dysfunctional markets, um, and what we want to know uh, here is, I just give a note, um how we then can address those in simple steps again we need to understand uh, the implication from both parts so to disable people the demand side for example uh, we know that half of respondents said that they gave up on spending because of accessibility issues so that actually prevents disabled people from spending money on what they want or what they need and we just say that uh, extra costs represent a diversion of income towards goods and services that they have to pay for but more could be done with the money or with the income if only they could spend it the way they want and not the way the markets are imposing on them. So then to businesses on the supply side of the equation, uh, extra costs imposed on um, disabled consumers represent missed opportunities. I often use the example of specialised bikes for children with disability or electrical um, wheelchair costing in the thousands of pounds. This is inefficient simply because only few consumers would be willing or even able to put so much money in just one item. Most uh, people would just decide not to face this cost and not to spend. So, essentially, here, profit could be maximized um, if only uh, the very simple uh, and small accessibility issues were addressed. And this doesn't have to be rocket science. Um, better inclusive design is not out of reach. That's the key message here. And more importantly, it is not a barrier to creativity. So, Craig actually will now talk you through a few easy fixes that we collected from the survey and to help us to visualize how better inclusive design could look like.
1: Thank you. Probably the most well known issues, yet still frequently not addressed are physical aspects of an in-person location such as the store or the venue. Prohibitive routes, multiple steps or lack of or broken lifts can prevent disabled customers from visiting or having a satisfactory customer experience. And restrictive paying experiences can stop or turn people away at the key transaction stage. Disabled people we've consulted also suggested that the in-person environment could be adjusted to support the needs of all people. Noise and light levels, for example, to help those with sensory sensitivities or through provision of support such as accessible zones as breakout spaces, even providing accessible shopping sessions or events to act as regular accessible features in the venue's calendar. Shopper guides can also help customers select and choose items or services, and training can be provided to educate in attitudes and flexibility of staff when supporting disabled customers and their families. The telephone route, the channel to which disabled people are frequently pushed towards, often fails in many simple ways. Phone navigation can be complicated with voice control menus and difficult key sequences or overcomplicated menu structures. Staff training and customer approach can really help improve people's experiences. Two-way supportive communication is key, such as clear presentation of language, patience with responses to ensure understanding and repeating information if necessary. And also providing support and training for staff for accessible services such as text relay calls. And add a flexibility to your business and empower staff. Support and train them to divert from the scripts. For example, addressing obvious frustrations like not allowing online offers to be av- available over the telephone, as quoted by one of our research participants earlier. <laughs> um, finally, when developing digital channels, any text or information on a website is, clear, is written clearly in clear language and font with appropriate colour contrasts. Navigation can be made a lot easier too by enabling the option to tab between screens, providing larger and clearer buttons and alternatives to dragging and dropping, such as when moving items from shopping baskets, for example. Furthermore, disabled people always raise issues of the lack of alternative text provided with images, such as those to support understanding of site content and shopping choices. Or images involved in security, such as capture, which often prevents disabled people from even entering the site to begin their customer journey. Include alternative videos, such as sign language versions, or provide captions and audio descriptions to videos, which is very easy and usually free to produce. For example, you'd be surprised how many MP election candidate promotional videos do not have captions, as highlighted by campaigners raising awareness of no captions, no vote. That's all parties, by the way, I might say. Um, Finally, website timeout protocols continue to plague and are of particular frustration when frequently affecting the end of a customer journey. Please remove time limits or simply provide options for the user to extend them. This is by no means an exhaustive list, and there are many more simple examples clearly laid out within Scope's new big hack resources now available online. So please follow us on twitter at uh, scope uh, big hack or one word and then head over to the website at bighack.org um, to check out the resources we're making available to businesses designers disabled people and the people that support them um, and sign up to the big hack newsletter and knowledge sharing program will sort of share everything we found with you um, and there's currently um, a comprehensive and growing resource hub available there and then we'll be creating access to the business case research that we've been presenting a sneak sort of initial preview of here and a sort of very exciting interactive reporting tool, hopefully, and analytical information. Um, and we welcome feedback on everything that's available. It's a resource for everyone here to tap into. Um, so, and the Big Hat resources have been developed to improve the way we are informed by disabled uh, customers. Why wait to be hit with sticks, basically, when you can have as many carrots as you like, basically? Um, We want to inspire the other organizations to implement inclusive design and promote its benefits to business and fellow businesses. um, And to achieve best possible outcomes for a complete and inclusive customer journey and everyday equality in technology. Thank you.
3: I've got a couple of questions here. Um, Thanks. That's fantastic. Uh, The most popular one is where can we find the numbers? Are you going to publish the research? Is it going to be made available? Yeah. Yeah.
1: We're working on how best to present them at the moment. They'll be available through the website, so do sign up. Mm. Thank you.
3: Um, uh, Then another one here about the international nature because we've been hearing about um, that earlier. Do you have any intent, uh, sort of plans to work on any research outside the UK? I mean, I don't know whether anybody knows of any of the research like this anyway, but um, I mean, clearly this is a very UK-specific picture. Do you have connections to pr- try and present as a more, more global picture?
1: I think I heard of something yesterday where we may be working with a partner called Purple um, Network, what they called, those guys? I, I think they're just
3: called Purple. Oh, they're just called yeah. Purple. Okay, yeah. That's <laughs> no, cool. the
1: theme there. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's about 20,000 people across the, uh, um, across the world. So, and they are people in work um, mm. age, you know, working age, 16 to
3: 64, so. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Uh, there's a little competition going on here in Slido between who can come up with the best David Bowie uh, reference, Major Tom's wife versus Ground Control. Um, i just let you know, those are the, that's the leaderboard. So, Ground Control said, what industries or websites did research participants find the best and easiest to use? That would be
1: revealing, wouldn't it? You'd have to come to the
3: website. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So there is <laughs> an
2: answer, <laughs> okay. but there is an answer. Just there just is definitely. There's <laughs> lots
1: of businesses mentioned on there With, within the detail of it. Yeah,
3: results, that's it. I yeah, assume, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And um, uh, the the other question about accessing the research um, that I was I was thinking about what you're intending to do next is it is this a, st- a stepping stone to other further deeper research and based on what you're finding now? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to say?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so. Today was just a teaser, really. There's a lot more numbers and analysis that we've done um, and available on the websites. But essentially, our focus for us would be, you know, we, we have a strong public um, policy and public affairs team. And we're trying to have a sense of prioritization. So what we'd like to do is to know, uh, you know, which sectors, for example, are... Uh, the worst at inclusive design and we'd like to focus on them so we'd like to have you know, more in-depth analysis um, by sectors but also ideally to be able to come up with um, the kind of profit loss by day or hours okay. uh, by businesses in the UK so that would take a bit more time and resources but that's the kind of aim Great,
3: cool, thank you. Well thank you very much, it's fantastic yeah. to get that, so that, that nice. picture so clearly there so thank you so much for your yes. time. Thanks very much Cheers.